Good. Well, we're um, going to be uh, spending a little bit of time today looking once more for the second time uh, at the, uh, some people might think, rather obscure Old Testament book of Haggai. Uh, you can find our, our passage on page 948 uh, in the Church Bibles. Uh, we'll read it in a moment or two. We're just spending a, a couple of uh, weeks in this book, seeing what we can learn from it. Um, This was God's word to his people at a particular time in history. It's about 500 years before the birth of Jesus. Um, It's kind of towards the end of the Old Testament story in many ways. Um, You know the backstory. Um, The people of Israel, the people of Judah, as it had become, had been exiled into Babylon for 70 years or or just a bit less. And and they had, had been promised by God that they would come back. And at a certain point, they came back to uh, Jerusalem, um, back from the empire of Babylon, uh, and they were able uh, to start rebuilding their temple there. In fact, God brought them back specifically so that they would uh, rebuild the temple and then uh, begin to settle in that community. We won't go into all the details of that. And we've been thinking how that that temple was a symbol, really, of God's presence with them wasn't just a building it was something that was a reminder of their identity as God's people and you remember they got very very discouraged had a good start but then it all ground to a halt and Haggai is a prophet who comes along and brings God's word to them so that as they respond to that word from God they they kind of get back to where they should be they get back on track again not just that they start the building project up again, the temple that God had called, told them to build, but in other ways, in their life with God, their, their life as a community uh, of his believing people gets kind of on track. So we know that they had become discouraged and they become fearful. In fact, back in Ezra chapter 4, which gives us some of the background history to that, it actually says that the peoples around, deliberately, that was their plan, because a lot of Pardon me, a lot of the opposition came from the, the people who had kind of moved into the land while they'd been out for 70 years they'd been gone. Others had moved in and they'd set up their own communities and so on. And those people were opposing uh, the rebuilding of the temple and they did it to discourage them and to make them afraid. And I guess they did a pretty good job because as we heard last week, the, the whole project came to a grinding halt. Partly because they got the government to ban the building. They got a law uh, passed to stop them um, building. And so they, the, the people from Judah, the God's people, just thought, oh, well, you know, that's it then. We better, we better stop. Until Haggai comes along. But, you know, we can find ourselves in a situation, can't we, where we're um, discouraged and where we're fearful Uh, And we need to hear something of God's word to us. God speaks to them through Haggai. We began it last week. We we saw that he brought a very challenging message to them. He challenged them to about the fact that they kind of pushed God to the very edge of their lives and uh, and and they kind of kept what they what he wanted them to do very much on, on the edge and got on with their own lives and just kind of done the right thing. But really, the key thing which he wanted them to do, they hadn't. And uh, they'd forgotten what living for God was all about. But Haggai brings this message and they respond. 
uh, and, and quite quickly there's this uh, something new happens there's like a renewal a renewal is when people who are already believers kind of come back to, 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 to God in a, a new way and this is what happens to this community they become renewed and we thought about what kind of renewal it was there was a renewal they, they were together very much together again they started to function together uh, as not just the, the leaders but the leaders and the people all of them uh, get, they, they have this renewal of, of their identity they, they, they connect with who they are again and they start to obey the Lord again and to live in awe of him to give him the whole of their lives and, and they start this building project up again. They have this renewed experience of God with them, stirring their spirits, not just knowing that he was with them in, the, in a kind of intellectual sense, but knowing God at work in their lives, stirring them, uh, motivating them, enabling them to be the people he wants them to be. So that's what happens in Haggai chapter 1. Uh, but it's interesting, Haggai has got more messages. There are, in chapter 2, there are three little kind of messages that Haggai brings. Now, I wonder why that is. You know, we read last week at the end of chapter 1 that they began the building. They got the building project up and running. They, they responded to God. They came back to him. They, as, uh, I won't go all those things I just said, but those areas of renewal, they were back where they should be. But Haggai brings them three more messages. Now, why is that, I wonder? There's something to think about. You think that starting the, uh, the building up again will be enough. Job done, Haggai. <laughs> you, can, you can kind of pack up your prophetic stuff or you can you know, go, go on back or get back to your life, whatever you were doing. But no, God says, I've got more to say to these people of mine. And Haggai, I want you to say more. Well, I wonder whether it's because actually keeping going on something can be just as hard, if not more difficult, than starting it, can't it? And maybe renewal, being knowing God's presence and power in our lives in a fresh way, is just the same as everything else. It's not easy. We need to keep going. And the whole point of these other messages from Haggai is to help us to be sustained in growth and to be sustained in renewal. And this community that Haggai speaks to needs to get hold of that, and so do we. In many ways, we'll see these, these messages focus on individuals today. Last week, it was more about the corporate community. But there are three messages, and Haggai brings them to the people. And God speaks to them so that what they've discovered of him will be sustained, that they will be sustained in renewal. Let's look at the first one. It's in chapter 2, verse 1 to 9, on page 948. It begins. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel sorry, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. 
This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and the desired of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. That's Haggai's first message. Once again, God tells him to speak to all the people. Uh, And it's been about five or six weeks since he last spoke to them. Uh, The building project has got started again. But God says to them, look, I want you to ask the people some questions. Now, why do we ask questions to each other? Well, we'll have a a quick kind of show of hands. Sometimes it's just for fun or for money or a quiz, you know, you're hoping to win the quiz in your pub quiz or whatever it is you do your quiz in well it's not that is it sometimes it's uh, ignorance I don't know something so I need to ask someone about it that's a good reason to ask questions but there's another time when you get asked questions which is when anyone go where I'm going at the moment if you have the doctor and there's something wrong what does he do Or she do, because my doctor's a lady. She's great, Dr. Wilma. She asks questions. Diagnosis. I'm not taking questions now, James, thanks. We'll talk afterwards, okay? Um, Well, we, we ask questions for diagnosis purpose. And in a way, this is what God's doing here. He's helping them to get to an honest diagnosis, isn't it? You see, there were some very old people back in this community. Others knew the stories of what the old temple was like. And this one that they're standing in with its foundations started, probably half the old temple was still there, you know, all in ruins. You could see that it was this one was going to be a little bit pathetic compared to the old one. The old one had all the gold of Solomon's empire. Solomon had the biggest empire in the world. And all the gold and cedar and everything was available. And and his temple had been destroyed. And now there's the one they're building. And it looks, the old one looked like a cathedral. This one looks like a bus station in a small market town. You can see. And God says to them, face up to that. God is helping them to be open about the sense of disappointment, of discouragement of sadness of what had been lost. It's a sense of a generation here. This generation, the old guys who'd been carted off to Babylon or could remember it or knew the stories, they would they'd live 70 or 60 years under judgment. Everything had been smashed. And they were coming back and all they, could, all they had at the moment to show for it was this bus station type, you know what I mean, this, this smaller temple. How does God deal with it? Well, he gets them to be open about it. And then he's very realistic, isn't he? He says to them, look, you're going to have to be strong. Yes, it's going to be tough, but you can be strong. And the reason you can be strong, he says, you can be strong because I am with you. 
He's saying, look, you can, you can know the experience of this promise of my presence with you worked out in this tough reality. It is disappointing. You, you, you don't see what you want to see. It's hard going. But you can be strong because I am with you. If that promise, I am with you, really begins to bite, doesn't it? Or really needs, we really need it. You know, it's not, you know, people put it on, forgive me if you've got one of these on your wall, you know, I am strong, I am with you, you know, a poster. What picture would you put with it? (laughs) Yeah, a few ducklings or, you know, a fluffy kitten or something like that. No, no, no. This is, you know, you need a picture of a a soldier in Afghanistan under heavy fire or somebody burdened down it's tough but but he says I am with you in that tough place it is tough you're right to be disappointed it is disappointing but God says I am with you that is my promise to you and it's not just a promise that kind of comes out of nowhere look what he says he said I covenanted with you when I came when you came out of Egypt he reminds them that God had already brought them out of Egypt he'd already rescued them he'd saved them in the past it says, I covenanted with you. I've made that committed commitment to you, says God. This promise is not based on just some, something that you might see on a picture of ducks. It's based on the, the, the rooted in the, the, the work and character and consistency and faithfulness of the God who'd been their God for, for generations and who'd done things. Rooted in his character. Now, do we get discouraged because we can't see it quite work out how we think it or hope it would? Well, I know I do, and I'm sure you do too. It's so hard. Sometimes we might be like those old guys in Jerusalem, and perhaps some of us, some of the older ones, remember the glory days when churches were full, and you know there were everyone was interested, everyone knew about Jesus, and you know you only had to tell somebody about Jesus, and they knew, knew who you were talking about. These days, people don't even know hardly what you're talking about below a certain age, and we look back and we think this is so hard, and we feel disappointed and discouraged. Well, he calls us to be strong. To realize that he promises to be with us now. And that we can work on. That we can believe that. Because like the Israelites, he's already done something. He's rescued us. He's done something in Jesus. The events of Easter remind us of what God has done. And we have his, the promise of his present help comes out of his past commitment. And at the end of the day, there's, there's no body of Jesus anywhere to be found. There's an empty tomb in the center of history. He's alive. We can be strong because he's committed to us. His spirit remains with us. We need not fear. And then in verses 6 to 9, God speaks to these people who are discouraged again. And I'm not going to go into details, but if you read it through, basically what God says to them is, leave what happens in the temple to me. He says, I know it looks pathetic to you, but don't worry, leave it to me. He says, I am going to work in history again. I will shake the the earth again. This temple, you may not see it. They're looking at the temple around. He says, you may not see it, but it will be filled with glory. This one that you're building... God says, don't worry about silver and gold. You know, in Solomon's time, there was so much gold, silver was worthless. How about that? If you had a bit of silver, it was worth nothing because everyone had so much gold. God says, the gold and the silver are mine. I don't care about gold and silver. 
That's not, don't worry about that. He said, my presence will be in this place. And we know, don't we, that that temple that they built eventually became, it was extended and modified and became Herod's temple. But that temple was where Jesus came. That's where Jesus came and threw out the money changers. That was the place where, where it is said of him, zeal for your, my house has consumed me. Is that right? That's the phrase, you know? It was Jesus who was there. It was in that temple that these guys built, ultimately, that the curtain was ripped in half when Jesus died. In that very place, God declared peace. That it was possible for sinful people to come into the presence of a holy God. Now, those guys, they didn't see that. They couldn't get hold of that. They didn't know that. But God says, you can trust me with it. And we can trust God that his purposes will be fulfilled. It may not be like the past. We may never return to the glory days when everyone thought Britain was Christian and was to an extent. We may never come back to the, the things that we've seen, but you know, the Lord's purposes will be fulfilled. There will be harvest. His kingdom will come. And who knows what our part in it might be. We don't know, but we can trust him. Because that's the point. We can trust him. He is the Lord. He is with us. So to be sustained in renewal, we need to bring the real issues to our God. And we need to trust him because he can be trusted. Because of all that he is, all that he's done, all that he's done in in Christ, all that he's promised, and all that he brings into our lives. So to be sustained in renewal... Don't have elephants in your kind of personal room. Those things, as it were, the things that you are discouraged about, which you feel, I can't bring that to the Lord. No secrets. Be honest about it. If you're disappointed, tell him. Talk it through with another person. Pray about it. But realize that he can be trusted. We can trust him with it. So that's Haggai's first message. Let's have a look at his second one in chapter 2, verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Another question. Ask the priests what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil or other food, does it become consecrated? The priests answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the police priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures... There were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn until now? The vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day... I will bless you. Now I have to go quite quickly through this. In some ways, Haggai is uh, reiterating 
his previous message. He's going into a bit more depth on the message that he gave them we looked at last week. But God tells him to ask more questions. And this is time he's, he's told in front of the priests, in front of the people rather, to, to get a priest up, or a couple of them, and ask them some questions. And he asks the questions, because it's all about their rituals. You know, in the Jewish law, certain things were clean and certain things were unclean. And, and everyone knew that. That's how they lived and so on. And, and, and according to the law, he gets the expert up and says to him, look, if you're carrying something that's been used for sacrifice, that's been belonged to the Lord and it's clean, it's been purified, if it touches something that isn't clean, does that make it clean? No, no, says the priest. But, and then he asks the other question, if someone touches something that's unclean, like um, a dead thing, does, because dead bodies were polluted in, that, in the law, uh, the Old Testament law, if you touch that, does it make you polluted? And the answer is yes. Now, it's a bit of a basic point, really, but I think what, what, what Haggai is saying is that, look, there's no second-hand spiritual purity. You can't get, kind of get God's kind of clean clean before God through somebody else but there is quite a lot of second hand pollution around you can get polluted second hand in this Old Testament way or you can but you can't get second hand kind of blessing simple thought really ignoring God if you you ignore the Lord says Haggai you ignored God for all that time and uh, it got blighted it was not a neutral position to be in so the main point here is walking with God is an active thing you can't get the Lord through other people to put it bluntly so when these people just drifted they went backwards that's he's going back to that message that when you when you were just drifting when you just ignored God when you left him out of your lives you, you just kind of went backwards. The, the flow is going the other way. Uh, and there's this thought to us, a warning. To be sustained in renewal, we need to keep going. The Christian life is to be lived. It's a way to go, a path to walk. If you stand still, you go backwards. You know, if you're not swimming against the, the current, then you're going to go with it. That's why Jesus talks so much about discipleship, the need to keep following him. The the picture of the Christian life is a a walk, a, a journey with Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount is all about that. The key kind of bunch of teaching Jesus gives is all about this, being sustained in following him, living his life. If we do nothing, we drift. We need to be active as we follow. And this is especially a danger when God does something awesome. (laughs) You know, when a great renewal happens or you have a great blessing in your life. Maybe a healing or maybe something else or or, or, or whatever it is. or, Or maybe just a great time of fruitfulness. And you read these sad stories of people who've been so blessed by God. Who then, a few years later, you discover they've given up the faith or... You know, they got into some kind of compromise, and it's tragic. And I wonder whether what happens is because there was such a blessing, they forgot that they have to keep walking. You can't live on the past glories, as it were. You need to keep going with Jesus. We need that, don't we? I need that. 
But there's a tremendous encouragement here, isn't there? God is so faithful to us. Haggai, the second half of this, 15 to verse 19, just again on the superficial reading of it, is telling us something quite exciting. It's saying that God is so faithful to us that when we return to him, he will bless us. The verse 19, there's a great build-up from this day on, from this day on, from this day on, all through from verse 15. And then it comes like a boom at the end of the passage. From this day on, I will bless you. What does that mean? Well, God is saying, the moment you return back to me, I'll bless you. You don't have to wait. You don't have to experience a time of really contrite, you know, where, where you only get a little bit of God's blessing. And then as you get, you know, prove that you're worthy of it, you'll get a bit more and then a bit more. No, no, no. God says, the moment you return to me, I will bless you. The moment we turn to Christ, the moment we welcome him into our lives, he comes. Look at the church in Laodicea we looked at. If any person opens the door, I'll come in. But Jesus doesn't say, I'll just come in. And I might wait around, you know, we looked at, I'll, I'll wait around the hallway and kind of look at the pictures for a while. And when I know that it's really okay, I'll come in. No, Jesus said, open the door, I'll come in and we'll have a, we'll have a meal together. It's like the prodigal son. As soon as he comes home, his father welcomes him. He runs to meet him. Here's the point. There's no probation with coming back to God. He promises to meet us. So to be sustained in renewal, we need to keep going. We need to keep walking with Jesus. We need to keep responding to him. We come back because he is faithful. 1 John 1 verse 8 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So ask yourself, are you drifting? Are you perhaps too passive as a follower of Jesus? Ask the Lord to point out perhaps areas where you need to be a bit, or I need to be a bit more intentional. And then let's get with it. Now some people listening to Haggai may be thinking, great message Haggai, yeah that really, that's really great, but you don't know me. You don't know where I've been. It's alright for these people, but you don't know my story. Are you really sure that anyone can come back? That it's that straightforward? Well here's... Haggai's last message, verse 20. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. This is a second specific word now for a person. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord. I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is a word from God to a man called Zerubbabel. Who's Zerubbabel? Well, it tells us he's the governor, but more than that, Zerubbabel is in the royal family. You see, his grandfather was King Jehoiakim of Judah. Sometimes he's called Coniah. He was the last real king uh, in Judah before the exile. And actually God brought a word 
to this man, Kaniah, Zerubbabel's grandfather. Let me read it to you. If you want to, you can turn it up. It's in Jeremiah 22. Um, or you can just listen. It's on page 781. We'll go from there. There's a fair bit here, but we'll go from. Uh, as surely as I live, verse 24 declares the Lord, even if you, Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were a signet ring on my right hand, I would still pull you off. I will hand you over to those who seek your life, those who fear, uh, those who you fear, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of, king of Babylon, and to the Babylonians. Babylonians, I will hurl you and the mother who gave you birth into another country where neither of you was born, and there you will both die. You will never come back to the land you long to return to. And then there's a poem about it. Is this man Jehoiakim a despised, broken pot, an object no one wants? Why will he and his children be hurled out and cast into a land they do not know? Oh, land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord said. Record this man as if childless, a man who will not prosper in his lifetime, for none of his offspring will prosper. None will sit on the throne of David or rule anymore in Judah. They are God's words of judgment to Jehoiakim's grandpa. Now this is a big deal. Surely, if anyone had grounds for discouragement, if anyone could think, I can't come back to God, it was Jehoiakim, his grandson Zerubbabel, because he's kind of cursed in there, isn't he, along with, with his grandfather. None of your children. You're all out. You're finished. It's over, says God through Jeremiah. Being judged forever. What hope for his family? They blew it so badly, they're in the Bible by name. Being judged forever, as the language reads. And what does the Lord say to him? Well, the Lord tells him. He says, I'm king. He says, Jehoiakim, uh, Zerubbabel, rather, I will act again. I will sort out the situation without armies and without the power structures of the past. And then he promises that Zerubbabel will be like David. He says, I will take you my servant. He calls Zerubbabel, the cursed grandson of the most judged king of Judah. He calls him my servant. He uses the word he uses of David. And he promises that, that actually somehow God's plans will be fulfilled. This is not the end of kingship in the line of David. Zerubbabel's got a future, or at least his descendants have. And of course, who's going to come and be the king in the line of David? Jesus. Again, it's going to be worked out, but in a different way. But here's the key I really want us to get hold of. Remember what God had said to Zerubbabel's granddad? Even if you were a ring on my finger, I would pull you off. Here's the idea, you know, if you're a king in the ancient world, your ring was pretty important because that's how you made your laws. So you didn't take your ring off because anyone else could pick it up and make as many, stamp as many seals as they wanted. So you always kept your ring on your finger so that you used it for the law. That's why he said, so God says, even if you're a ring, even if it was unthinkable that I should be separated from you, I would still take it off. What does he say to his grandson? I will make you like a signet ring. That's amazing, isn't it? What's it saying? It's saying failure need not be final. 
failure need not be final. God's grace to the family under judgment extends to Zerubbabel. And we need to remember that to be sustained. To avoid sinking into discouragement and fear. Because often our failures are are what discourage us the most deeply. And God's grace is so good. I'm going to have to stop now. Finally, let's just summarize. We have a God who is faithful. So we can trust him. Trust him with the real issues. The real things that get us discouraged. We can be honest about them. Trust him with those things and be strong. Those things won't evaporate away necessarily, but he, will pro- he promises to be with us in these tough situations. That his bigger purposes will be fulfilled and his promise is to be with us. And we know he will. We can trust him because of all that he's done in Jesus Christ. The God we love and trust is faithful so we can actively follow him. We keep on the road and when we miss our way, we get back on it with him. Because he will bless us, we can return to him. From that day on, he says, I will bless you. And the God we know is faithful, so failure need not be final. He can turn, you know, if God can welcome back the grandson of the king who got the Israelites into exile, his grace is enough, isn't it, for us to come back to him. He can turn even the darkest things around because he walks with us. Let's pray that we'll just know that and that uh, we may be sustained in renewal as we walk together and individually with the Lord. If I've said something that later you want to pray about, then do use the prayer corner. There'll be people to pray with you about any of, if there's something, one of those things that you've never really faced but you feel you should face now and bring it to the Lord. Well, if you want to pray with somebody about it, you can do that. Thanks. Let's respond as we worship.